Okay. Good morning, everyone. So my, my preet is on um, to the tithe and beyond. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear had to get on a slide somewhere along the line. It actually comes from a quote by John Wesley, where John, who was a, um, probably the greatest evangelist of the 18th century, and he spoke about how he gives his tithe and beyond his tithe. And uh, tithing is this, like this weird thing that we do that seems to be somewhat archaic, like, like there's words in the Bible that you think, well, we should come up with a better word than that. Like, what would be a modern word for tithing? You know, like, so words like offering and giving, people like those words. But tithing actually is from a Hebrew word that means 10%. It precedes the law. God, um, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Jacob tithed, I don't know who he tithed to, but he tithed as well. And, um, and even after, and then, the, then that principle was put into the law. And so it became a part of Israel's plan. And the reason why it was put into the law was because God wanted to provide a way for, for one of the tribes that was going to be responsible for ministering to be taken care of. And so there were the 12 tribes of Israel that you know, and one of the tribes called Levi, the, the Levites, the sons of Levi, where Aaron comes from, and Moses actually, that tribe was set apart to be the ministers in the tabernacle and in the temple. And in Numbers 18, it tells us, God actually says this, he said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them, I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an, inher an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. And so what he's saying is, you guys, you come into the promised land. I'm giving, you guys are the tribe of whatever, Judah. I'm going to give you a section of land. And you guys are the tribe of Manasseh. And you've got a section of land and so on and so forth. And so everybody had land. It was, a, it was a beautiful thing. You came in, you got your plot of land, and this would be handed down through the generations. But if you were a Levite, you got nothing. How's this? You come into the promised land, you get nothing. And God says, because you're not going to be working the land. You're not going to be growing crops or herding sheep. You are going to be taking care of the, the temple. And those, these are vocational ministers. They, they, their job is their ministry. Now, God has given us all sorts of things to do on this earth. Um, making things, fixing things, selling things, buying things. Um, servicing, whatever it is. And, and all of these things are needed. They're a part of the way the world functions. But there are some that are taken out of the ordinary way of making money and doing business and set aside to be able to minister full time. And that's been my life. I was I studied to be a CA. Linda studied to be a psychologist. We were both practicing in that thing. I was, um, by God's grace, we were, we, our lives were going along well. I was one of the youngest partners ever in our international accounting firm, I was making bags of money, but I knew God had called me into ministry, and it was a matter of time before He would call me out, and He did. And so we came into ministry, and we set aside that capacity we had to earn money in the marketplace, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I actually loved my job there. It was a good job. I loved the people I work with, but I knew what God had called me to, and I laid it aside, and I could no longer generate my own um, income there because my time was full ministering in the capacity that God had called me in. For a while, I was working and ministering, and it felt like Rachel with um, 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 Jacob and Esau in a womb, like these two kingdoms warring against each other. And eventually, I had to lay one down so I could let, get a hold of the other one like that. And that's where I spent my time. And, um, and the provision that God had put in place under the old covenant was that the tithes that were coming from you guys doing your work in, in the marketplace and everything else, and um, as you make a living for yourself and, 
and contribute to society, that what flows from you would then fund my salary and the other ministry costs for the other guys and whatever else goes on in the life of the church. And that's the way it happens. Now, you might say, well, that was the old covenant, but it's not part of the new covenant. Well, Jesus seemed to endorse tithing when in Matthew 23, 23, he said, when he was rebuking the Pharisees, he said to them, like, you tithe on your vegetable gardens. Like, you hypocrites, you tithe on your vegetable gardens, your, your dill, your cumin, and your mint, but you don't tithe on, but you don't practice justice, um, faith, what is it? justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And, and, and he says, you should have done the one tithing without neglecting the other one. And tithing is not important as these other things, but you should still do it. And if Jesus had wanted to that point, he could have done away with tithing, but he says that tithing is a good practice. He understood what it was. And the objection to that might be, but you can't say that because he was speaking to Jews, and he was speaking to Jews under the old covenant, and he was. But if you go a little bit further in the New Testament to Paul's writings, you'll see the same principle is actually endorsed. In 1 Corinthians 9.13, Paul the apostle writes, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service to get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Now he's pointing back to the Old Testament principle of tithing, but goes on to verse 14 and says this. In the same way, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so the very least that he's saying is that as you go on in your life and do your, the work that you're doing, a portion of your your earnings should go to support those whose work it is to minister the gospel. I have no, I don't get embarrassed at all to talk about this because, because although the money comes out of your hands into those baskets, the provision in my life I know comes from God. And if, even if no one was giving, God would provide for me because that's what he's called me to do. But, but, but clearly what we see here is Paul endorsing, because he refers back to that old system, that at least the, the idea of tithing was, was um, the practice of the church and, and probably mandated within the church as well. And so as we give our tithe each week, we're practicing the, the, the principle that God put in place for the support of those who are in ministry. I'm going to uh, jump a bit to another scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 8. Paul's been speaking for two chapters on giving, and then he says this in summary. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And let me just make a point here, friends. Like, um, if you're giving under compulsion, out of a sense of duty, um, you are not going to get the reward that God intends for you. That, that is not, you're not functioning in a healthy way with money. We will still get a reward. Like, so if you're under compulsion, bring your money and drop it in. Yes, no problem. We can use it. But, but it, you rob yourself of the whole thing. We're not trying to twist your arm and get you to give more money. I said this to Kenneth, we were talking about finance the other day for that church in, in Nigeria, and I said to him, he says, tell me how you raised money. I said, we never have ever raised money at Will of Life. We don't raise money. I don't believe churches are called to raise money. I believe churches are called to release money. See, raising money is, I'm going to stir you up. We need, I was watching something on, uh, this, on the Prosperity Gospel the other day. We, God wants to give us 20,000. I want 20 people to stand up. I feel like God's told me 20 people are going to stand up. They're going to give $1,000 each. Stand up, stand up, stand up. And they're going to come in. Like, where does that stuff come from? It's not in the Bible. We release money. We give what God has told us to give. And when we give that, that's enough. So you don't need to say, Rob, how much do I need to give? We actually had a guy 
come to us when we were in the middle of COVID, actually as COVID had started and said, there's a wealthy man, he said, I can, I can help you. He says, how much does the church need? I can, I can write out a check, how much do you need? He said, it's the wrong question. I said, the question is, how much has God told you to give? And then when you give that amount, that will release what we need. See, I don't want, I don't want that man to be giving me a check for that, like say that's our need, to fulfill that need. What has God told you to give? If it's that much, God will give us that. See, God releases. And I'm telling you, from that day, and he said to me, if you need more, come back. I've never gone back to him because when he gave that amount of money, it unlocked something and released over the life of the church. And that's what it does. And so your, your responsibility is just to say, God, how much should I give? So I believe from what I've said that the 10%, the first fruits of our income, we should be sowing that amount. I've done that my whole life. It doesn't feel like a difficulty for me at all because I've, that's all I've ever known. For 30 years from the day we started working, Linda and I have tithed on our income. The challenge comes for me for the and beyond part. Because then, like, I've settled the one thing, and, but this, the next one's up for negotiation the whole time. Should I be giving? Yeah. Have I heard God? What, what, if, I don't, if I don't give there, I could use it for this or whatever it is. The wonderful thing about coming to the, the basket each week is that we, we deal with that desire in us to satisfy ourselves, to be autonomous. And then um, what we see in this is that um, tithing opens to, oh, I didn't finish that scripture. <laughs> For God loves a cheerful giver. So smile when you come up with your offering. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. I love this. So that having all sufficiency, having everything you need, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Isn't that amazing? So there's, there's something going on in the finances here that is more than just pluses and minuses like accountants would get involved with. One of the things he said is that tithing and giving beyond that is God's way of releasing good works, of us being able to um, make His glory known. So when, when we have excess in our income, the, the, the actual the purpose of that excess income is to be released for good works, to be sown in that way. And um, uh, somebody once said that you look, you look like you love what everyone else loves when you, when you treat your money the same way the world treats their money. I sat with um, Karimi, um, Alan's wife, in, uh, in hospital a lot this week. She's a firecracker, that lady. Um, she's had cancer now for three years. Um, I think the doctor said, you won't survive one year. And she's still there, and she's still fighting, and she's still breathing. And I said to Karimi, I said, Karimi, we're going to pray for your healing as long as there's breath in your lungs, and maybe for a little while afterwards, if, if that's what happens. Um, but as we were sitting there talking, I said to her, but Karimi, this life is not, she knows this. I mean, she's like, She's preaching to everybody. That, that I think they put her in the corner of the hospital because they worry she's going to cause trouble if they don't have a right at the edge, you know. She's got prayer lists for every single person in the hospital. Um, I, when I walked in, I knew I wouldn't have to say too much, where's Karimi's room? I could have asked anybody. It's there, 211, that's where it is, you know. And we sat and we spoke about the fact that this life is not all there is. And that if we treat this life like it is everything, then we, 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 um, we lie about the truth of the gospel. It's wonderful, and I love this life. I want to I wanna eat this life off the bone and suck the marrow out the bone. I love, I love kissing my wife. I love my children. I love, the, 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 I love riding my bike. I love blue skies. I love mountains. I love seas. I love people. I love crying. I love laughing. This life is incredible that God has given us, but it's nothing compared to what is to come. Friend, nothing. The, the glory of the gospel is that what we've experienced is nothing compared to what God still has for us in that intimate face-to-face -face relationship with Him. If you think heaven is sitting on a cloud, 
playing a harp. You don't know what heaven is like. It'll be the greatest adventure, the, 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 the most incredible wonder we could ever have known. To be face to face with God alone will be more than enough. And when we, when we grieve so deeply in this life for anything that we lose, like if we, as, if, as if this life is a measure of everything, we don't let people know that actually we trust God for what's still to come, that this call is an eternal call. And uh, so I'm not saying don't pay attention to this life, don't fight for justice, of course, do all of those things. But, but the, the win comes at the end. That's when we glorify. And it's the same thing with our finances. Are we living as if this life is the only thing we value? As if investing in this life is the thing that matters instead of investing into eternity. And so we use our finances in a way that gives glory to God and through which other people give thanksgiving. And lastly, it's a way of God being able to give back to us. As we give, I remember my financial advisor coming in when I was working in South Africa as an accountant and he looked at my finances and he was doing a financial plan for me. I should have paid a little bit more attention. I Anyway, whatever, that's another story altogether. And he said to me, what's this line here, this tithe, this 10%? So I said, it's my tithe. He, was a, he, was a, he went to church, he wasn't a believer. And so he goes, yeah, but you don't have to give the whole 10%. Like, this is a huge amount of money. You should be putting some of this into your retirement funding. And, uh, and he didn't understand. I, I knew that God had made promises over my life. And one of the ways that I participated in that promise relationship with God was the way that I dealt with my finances. And so I, I, I sow because I almost can't afford not to sow. That's the reality. I know God's got my back. He says in that passage there that, um, that I read to you that, um, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 50, when you're 80, at all times, you may abound in every good work. I think this is Paul's way of expressing Malachi 3.10 when he says, when God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will, listen to this, not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so I can't afford not to participate with God in this wonderful um, encounter of, of giving and trusting Him. John Wesley, I said I would come to this quote at the end, to the tithe, and beyond said this, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me home. But in every other respect, my own hands will be my executors. I mean, the guys that will wrap his estate up when he's dead one day. In other words, I will put a control on my spending myself and I will go beyond the tithe for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. So he was one of the greatest evangelists, I said, of the 18th century. And in 1731, when he was 28 years old, he earned a salary of 30 pounds a year. Imagine that, eh? 30 pounds a year. And he found that he could live off 28, and so he gave away um, two pounds. And then the next year, his salary grew to 60 pounds, and he found that he could still live off the 28, and so he gave away 30 pounds. The year after that, his salary increased to 90 pounds, and he could still live off 28, so he gave away whatever the, the amount is that he gave away at that point, 62 pounds. Eventually, as his life went on, his long life, he, lived, he died when he was 91, I think, or 87. When he died, he had, um, his salary was 1,400 pounds a month. But his living expenses never went above 30 pounds. And so he gave away the vast majority. Uh, they, they reckon his lifetime, he earned 30,000 pounds. The vast majority of that he gave away. He didn't wait until he died to have a pile of money le that was left there. They, they said when he died, 
um, there was only a few coins found at his table was, and the books. That was all he had, his books and a few coins in the table. And the challenge is for us to live in a way that, um, that brings glory to God. I start off this morning by saying this, the gospel is simple. The gospel is so simple. God made us. He made you. doesn't matter whether we acknowledge it or not, God made us. Everything that we see and everything we don't see, God made. And He made us perfect. And yet, we sinned against Him. And we, we went into open rebellion against the leadership of God. And every single person, by the way that we've lived our life, proves that if, if I was Adam and Linda was Eve, we would have done the same thing. And so would you. Every one of us would have rebelled against God. And we are the inheritors of that sinful nature and are separated from God because of our sin. And our sin is not like I sin against another person. Like if I sin against Linda in a certain way, I might be able to make restitution and pay it back to her. But when my sin is against an infinite God who is holy and perfect, there is no way for me to bridge that gap. There's no ransom that I can pay to pay it back. I could give all my money away in my lifetime like John Wesley did. It wouldn't be enough. I could lay my life down on an altar. It wouldn't be enough to pay for my sin against God. And we are separated from Him for all time because of our rebellion. But God took the initiative and so loves us that He sent His Son. He took the first step and that Jesus, in living this perfect life, um, made a way for us to come um, to come to Him. And so the, the, what God has done is He's brought us into this relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And He is leading us along the way to become more like Jesus Christ. We, we, are, we are born again when we are redeemed by Christ. And then we begin to walk with Jesus. And the more we walk with Him, the more we become like Him. And one of the areas that continues to hold sway over us is the area of finance. I know that for me. And I, I'm so grateful to God that, um, that I have this regular reminder that I get to go, even when I was reading through the notes again this morning, before I came to church, and I felt God began to speak to me about something that Linda and I needed to. I called Linda to the line and said, babe, I feel like God's telling us to do X, Y, Z. And Linda's useless because whenever I ask about us giving money away, she always goes, yeah, we must. Like, I keep waiting for her to argue with me and say, no, we mustn't, baby. We must hold the money back. We must keep it for this. Whenever I ask Linda, she says, no, no, we should give it away. We should do that. And I've been, I've been led by Jesus along the way. And what's happening is um, some of the, the old bondages that were on me are being lifted off every single time. Every time we come, there's, there's more freedom, there's more space for us. And the more we walk with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus, the more the reality of the kingdom comes into our life, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. And the very things that I think I can buy with the money in my pocket, I get for free when I start to open my hand and understand what it means to live free. And then after that, He takes us home. We have this incredible journey with Him in this life. And then He brings us home. And we stand before Him face to face. And I promise you, friend, there will not be a single one of us that will stand before Jesus and go, man, I wish I hadn't given that 50 bucks away. Or I wish I'd bought that, that car instead of that car when we stand before Him one day. We'll be, so, we'll be so completely undone by the glory and majesty. We will realize that this is nothing other than a sacrifice that we could put before the king, a fragrant offering like a, like a piece of meat that was put upon a fire to be consumed that produced the fragrance in heaven one.